Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It is the morning after the night before the government and its ministers reluctantly started the shoring up of Boris Johnson as Prime Minister of this great country of ours. After what can only be described as the worst ever day in his chequered political career, the legitimacy of Boris as the leader of the Conservative Party is hanging by a thread, teetering on the edge of a precipice and just one more leak away from oblivion. And we're told there is one coming. His half-hearted apology in the House of Commons did nothing to convince those who think he has run out of road, and I'm certainly one of those, that he should stay in Downing Street. And indeed, the silence was deafening from Tory MPs as he made it. Jacob Rees-Mogg and a few other selected members of the Cabinet were all wheeled out to defend him. We'll hear from Jacob Rees-Mogg, uh, who appeared on the Jeremy Carl show yesterday afternoon uh, and elsewhere. But it was hours before Rishi Sunak and Liz Trust came out with anything at all. And it wasn't particularly convincing, you'd have to say. Meanwhile, the cards are starting to fall already. This morning, Sir Jonathan Van Tam has resigned. He will be the first of many. All week, I've been calling for Sir Chris Whitty to do the same thing. And it can only be a matter of time before he goes the same way. Even knighted scientists don't want to be associated with what is about to happen. This morning as well, Boris Johnson has reluctantly decided to self-isolate, even though he doesn't have to because apparently somebody in his family uh, has got COVID. So he's cancelled an appointment, he's cancelled a visit, because of course he would have been asked a lot more questions about Partygate. What did he know? When did he know it? I don't think he thinks he's done anything wrong. He's told MPs that it's not his fault that he's got them all into so much, in his words, crap. Well, he has, but when's he going to just go? Because that's what we want him to do, isn't it? 0344 499 1000. Up first this morning, we've got Labour MP Graham Stringer with his take on what Boris should do now. Sun columnist Trevor Kavanagh joins us as well. He's seen many Prime Ministers come and go, and his analysis will be key to what the Tories are planning. Also, Helen Dale will give us her view of it all. Uh, she's also going to be talking about her headlines of the week. Uh, the latest from Australia and Novak Djokovic. Surely they can't kick him out of the tournament at this late stage. It's practically Friday. It kicks off on Monday. The nightmare on Downing Street, of course, with her and the old movies that can never be made again. Prince Andrew is also back on the front pages after a New York judge ruled that he must face the music in a civil case launched by Virginia Gouffray. And he now faces being cross-examined under oath by one of America's fiercest trial lawyers. Angela Levin uh, will explain. And also, it's Thursday, so Helen Nicklin is going to be along with a few libations to cheer us up. Uh, maybe a party atmosphere, perhaps, in the final hour of the show. It is the Thursday Club. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is a tour. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, just before we say a very good morning to Graham Stringer, Labour MP for Blackley and Broughton, let us hear once more, remind ourselves uh, of Boris's meaty mouth apology. Mr Speaker, I want to apologise. I know that millions of people across this country have made extraordinary sacrifices over the last 18 months. I know the anguish that they have been through unable to mourn their relatives, unable to live their lives as they want or to do the things they love. 
and I know the rage they feel with me and with the government I lead when they think that in Downing Street itself the rules are not being properly followed by the people who make the rules. I have learned enough to know that there were things we simply did not get right. And I must take responsibility. Number 10 is a big department with the garden as an extension of the office, which has been in constant use because of the role of fresh air in stopping the virus. And when I went into that garden just after six on the 20th of May 2020 to thank groups of staff before going back into my office 25 minutes later to continue working, I believed implicitly that this was a work event. Now, if you believe any of that, uh, I've got some uh, marshland to sell you in Florida uh, with poss the possibility of the Brooklyn Bridge thrown in uh, as a bit of a bonus. Let us talk uh, right now to Graham Stringer uh, from the Labour Party to find out just what he made of it all. Graham, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. Thank you very much for joining us. I mean, it was a pretty pathetic effort. It was a pretty unconvincing defence of what happened. I don't think Boris Johnson seriously believes he's done anything wrong. And that's why I don't think he's going to offer up his resignation until it's kind of forced out of him. I think that's I think that's right. I've seen Gordon Brown, Theresa May, David Cameron in trouble when they've lost votes or been in difficulty. I have never been in the chamber uh, and seen so little support uh, for the prime minister from their own back benches. Some of those MPs, even though they've got masks on, look absolutely distraught, almost to the point of uh, self-harm. I think the, the I, I agree with you, it's a half-hearted apology. Uh, I don't think uh, he thinks he's done anything wrong. He, he thinks the rules don't apply to him. I think the critical point will come uh, in the May elections, uh, because he's supported by many Conservative MPs who don't like uh, his lifestyle and the way he ignores rules and gets away with things. Uh, if he doesn't deliver votes uh, for Conservative candidates in the local elections in May, uh, then I think uh, they, they may get rid of it. Mm. I think that's right. But I wonder whether he'll even last that long, Graham, because to me, uh, the next kind of uh, what, what you might call sort of brick that falls off the wall in the way perhaps of the next leak or a picture. I'm told there's a picture circulating of him and Carrie uh, possibly drinking champagne uh, at another party event. I mean, that would do him in, wouldn't it? Um, the Conservatives aren't very happy with him, to put it, put it mildly. Uh, there's not an obvious natural uh, successor. Uh, many of the Conservative uh, MPs are in marginal seats. There is still a doubt in their mind about whether anybody do an electoral, an electorally better job uh, than he has done. So I think that is giving them uh, pause for, for thought. But I, I also take your point. It's a bit like when um, Tony Blair said he was uh, he was not standing the next general election or any boss says, I'm going in nine months. Once you know somebody's going, they are in effect gone. And we know uh, that Boris Johnson is now uh, close to the end. So it might come quicker than May. I still think May will probably be the critical point. Well, I think that's right. Because I, I was saying this actually last week, Graham. That imagine if you're in the Cabinet and you get called in by the Prime Minister and he asks you to do something for him. You're going to be walking out of that room thinking, 
I'm not sure I want to do this, you know. So therefore, his power has already kind of been seeping away for quite a few days. After what he said yesterday and what you've just said about the knowledge that he will go at some point, whether it's sooner rather than later, we don't know. But basically, he hasn't got many friends in the room anymore, has he? He's never had a lot of friends. His supporters always really come uh, from his electoral success and his promise, which, to be fair to him, he carried out. He, he said he would get Brexit done. Uh, and although it's a, a flawed Brexit, it's not as good as I would have liked it uh, to be because of the Northern Ireland situation, he did get uh, Brexit done. That's where his supports uh, come from. But now people will be thinking, is the Chancellor, is the Foreign Secretary going to be the next Prime Minister? What do they think? I'd better do something that doesn't annoy them rather than do something for the Prime Minister. That is how... Uh, MPs think, they think, am I going to get re-elected? Who will be the leader of the party who will get me re-elected? And how can I respond to what they're likely to like so I stay in the cabinet or in my ministerial position or get into a ministerial yes. position? But it also, does it not damages his ability to run the country? Because, again, um, he is now going to be driven entirely by um, staying in power uh, rather than what is best for the rest of us, right? And that will apply to whatever COVID policy he rolls out. It will apply to his inability to make a visit today because he doesn't really ask any questions. He's suddenly become addicted to self-isolating, which is not something he's ever shown any enthusiasm for before. That's true. He, he's a deeply damaged uh, Prime Minister. I am, I'm a Labour MP, and it is my job uh, to expose flaws in, in the government's policies, contradictions, where uh, I think they've got things wrong. But I'm also uh, British. I want a, a United Kingdom uh, Prime Minister to do his best for the country. Um, this man can no longer do his best for the country if he goes to uh, meetings with... Uh, other countries, the prime ministers and presidents of other countries. They know that people in this country, as uh, Keir Starmer said yesterday, they've come to a firm conclusion that our prime minister is a liar and a hypocrite and is not to be uh, trusted. I mean, that gives me no pleasure to say it about a British prime minister who we want to do the best for the country, even if I, I disagree with them politically. Yes. So he's damaged both internally and externally. And it's quite something, isn't it, when a fellow parliamentarian like yourself, Graham, you've been there a long time, uh, you respect the office of state, I'm sure, but to call the sitting Prime Minister of this country a liar and a hypocrite is quite something. And it's extraordinary that we have come to this point, isn't it? Yeah, it is extraordinary. And it's extraordinary that it's no longer controversial. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, it, I mean, exactly. I'm sitting here going, yep, yeah, I, I can't disagree with you. And yet here he is running the country. I could go into the members' tea room and talk to Conservative MPs. Normally, if I'd said that about David, well, it wouldn't have been true, but about other Conservative uh, Prime Ministers, they would defend them. They'd be uh, annoyed we'd have an argument. But if I went and said it to them now, they'd say, well, yeah, that's, yeah. that's right. One of them said to me recently, I would say, I never thought I would say this as a Labour MP who strongly disliked Margaret Thatcher, to put it mildly. I actually think in dealing with some of the issues uh, that uh, the current Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, has dealt with, she would have done it better. Mm. And I think virtually any Prime Minister since the Second World War would have uh, dealt with the situation better because they'd have got on top of the detail. Mm. And the Conservative MP said to me, he said, it's worse than that, Graham. I think we'd be better with Theresa May back. 
which he was somebody who had not supported Theresa May at all. Yeah, which was also an astonishing um, decision to come to, because perhaps, you know, Theresa May wasn't any good at getting Brexit done, but she was probably quite good at running a cabinet. Yeah, and she she was, whatever you think of her, she was an honest person trying to do her best for the country. I mean, she didn't do it very well when it came Mm. to Brexit, as it's happened. But uh, nobody ever said she she didn't try her best. Nobody said she was going about uh, lying and uh, being hypocritical about it. She just wasn't very good Mm. at one important part of the job. Absolutely. And you'll probably know, I'm no fan of Sir Keir Starmer, but he absolutely got it right yesterday when when he asked the question of Boris Johnson, how stupid do you think the people of this country actually are? Yeah. He, 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 he's not had uh, that many good Prime Minister's questions here. Uh, yesterday, he was perfect in detail, perfect in tone. He kept the question short and to the point and related it to what people were thinking and were, what the uh, flaws and the hypocrisy in the Prime Minister's position was. You know, we do not need an inquiry. The Prime Minister knows he was at a party. Right. He's, he's already told he's already told us everything the inquiry needs to find out. So what do we need that for? No, and he, he what we need him to do is is resign and try and get the best Prime Minister for the country we, we, we can get or have a general election so the people can decide. One of those two uh, things needs to happen. He is now politically a dead man walking yeah. and he's no use to the Conservative Party or, or the country. No, I think that's absolutely right. Stay with us, Graham, if you would, because when you come back, I want to ask you about the chances for Labour to actually capitalise on this because 10 points ahead in the polls now. Um, I'm not sure that that would translate at the ballot box, but you will have probably a very different view. We're talking to Graham Stringer, uh, Labour MP. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. We're talking to Graham Stringer, who's a Labour MP. Graham, um, you've said uh, one of the choices for Boris would, of course, be to help to hold a general election. I think if he did hold a general election, um, he might struggle if he was still the leader. But if the Tory party held a general election with somebody else in charge, I don't see Labour winning it. It it would depend on a number of things. Uh, When John Major became leader, when Margaret Thatcher... Uh, was forced out. Nobody thought John Major would win, uh, and he did because mm. people thought there'd been a change of government and they they would give him a chance. So it is very difficult uh, for an opposition party uh, when there is a change of leader because people think, well, even without an election, things have changed. Mm. Uh, I think one of the points you're making is that the Labour Party has improved. Has it improved enough to win a a, a general election? And I think that Keir has got us to a point where he's made uh, necessary changes, but not probably quite sufficient yet to guarantee winning an election. People think he's a decent man. He's an honest man. He's doing his best. I think there are certain areas uh, in in terms of... uh, dealing with some of the language around the woke issues that people don't like, and particularly traditional Labour voters don't like. Mm. He has to be quite clear on what he's, he thinks about that. There's a whole raft of taxes coming down uh, the road on uh, green issues. We're already paying 25% uh, of our bills uh, for, for gas and electricity are on green issues. He has to make a statement about uh, what we're going to yes. do about that. 
Because uh, I think I think <coughs> the, the difficulty is it, breaking with what has been seen to be uh, Labour's easy um, cliches. We're we're in favour. We're all in favour of better environment. We're not all in favour of paying the enormous amounts no. uh, that net zero will cost. No, and I think it's a massive um, open goal really for Labour because one of the problems with Keir Starmer uh, is that he has appeared to be too similar to Boris Johnson. I mean, you know, uh, when the lockdowns came, he would have locked down earlier. Uh, when the furlough money came, he wanted to give more money away. Uh, when the lockdowns were lifted, he didn't want to lift them. Uh, when the green conversation takes place, he wants the same climate change policy as the Conservative Party. Um, and unfortunately, I think under him, the Labour Party has become the party of the Putney Champagne Socialist rather than the working man and woman uh, of this country. I wouldn't put it like that. Uh, but re-establishing uh, links with traditional working class uh, voters who, this is a cliche uh, in itself, but are on political issues like public ownership and democracy tend to be on the left and some of the social issues tend to be on the right. And they, they like a, a, a more direct and blunt uh, language not used by by, again, it's uh, it's a caricature, uh, but so some uh, well-heeled people in in Islington and West London, and he has to re-establish both in language and in policy a relationship with those people while keeping some of the core principles of the Labour yeah. Party. And what about the sort of Corbynistas who are still hanging around? I mean, Jeremy Corbyn's talking about launching his own party. Um, I imagine some people in the Labour Party would be quite glad to see the back of them. In, in, in this country, both the Conservative Party and the Labour Party uh, have a very broad coalition. They've always been uh, centrist in the Conservative Party and people on the, uh, on, on the far right. The Labour Party uh, has been the same. It's had centrist people because, well, you've got a first-past-the-post situation. You either have your coalitions in parties or you have your coalitions um, between different parties. I think if Jeremy or anybody else is going to set up a, a separate party, well, it will be the end of them. The, the whole history of, of small parties in this country is, is they uh, fail. And the Labour Party, and which is the party I'm from, needs to be tolerant uh, both uh, to people in the centre and people in the right. We want to stay away from nasty internal rounds. Jeremy's had his go at uh, running the Labour Party. It was a complete failure. And the Labour Party, for both from the left, centre and right, need to understand that mm. and get policies that communicate with people. One of the biggest and most unpopular um, policies uh, in the government at the moment is what to do about the migrants coming here from France illegally in dinghies. What would Keir Starmer's policy be on that? Because I'm not sure I've heard what it is. Well, uh, I think that... Well, let me tell you what I, I think. I, I voted to leave the European Union because I think we should be able to control our borders. Mm. Very, very... But, but we're clearly not we, doing that. Absolutely. We should be able to, having a policy of no immigration or open borders, both are crackers. And we have to get control of those borders uh, for so that people who uh, have no right to come here, uh, we don't allow to, to come here. It's not easy and it's 
uh, is going to be difficult, but we have to uh, do that. And Keir has to be very uh, clear about... Uh, but do you about know what his actual policy is? Because I don't think I've ever heard him say anything about it. In, I think it's in slightly different words. It is what I, I've just said, but in, in detail... Uh, when it comes to it, I, I agree that we need to firm up. Some of it is about the quality of language. It is very easy when talking about immigration. Many of the people who are coming here uh, are from different cultural and uh, racial backgrounds, both to be trapped into a, an argument that becomes about race. It's not about race. It's about deciding... Uh, that we should invite people into this country uh, if we need them for employment. We should be uh, kind and welcoming to those people who have a genuine fear of persecution in their own country under the, all the different international treaties that are about refugees. But people who are coming here uh, under false pretenses, we shouldn't uh, allow them in. Graham Stringer, thank you very much indeed. Graham Stringer, Labour MP, uh, they're talking about what the Labour Party would do if they won an election. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Let's talk to Helen Dale, writer, lawyer, political commentator. Helen, a very good uh, morning to you. Good morning, Mike. How are you? It's well, below freezing here. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, it's a bit cold in London, but the sky's blue, which always cheers me up. Uh, it's a very cold day in Downing Street at the moment. Boris is hunkering down, frightened to go out in case anybody asks him a question he doesn't want to answer. Uh, he's apparently discovered that he was indeed at a function that he thought he couldn't remember whether he was at. And he known that now knows so much about it that he can tell us he was there for 25 minutes. But let's have a listen before we go on to Jacob Rees-Mogg, who was on with Jeremy Carl yesterday, attempting to kind of ameliorate the situation. Today, a DUP MP, Jim Shannon, he cried talking about his mother-in-law dying alone of COVID. Can you and your colleagues look Jim Shannon full square in the face and say... We were at a drink, not you. The Prime Minister at a drinks party and you couldn't see your mother-in-law. We're really sorry. Does he believe you, Jim Shannon? Jim Shannon is a wonderful man. Uh, the m- most brilliant parliamentarian. I, I, um, Jim and I, somebody of the House, work relatively closely together and he is a great contributor to Parliament. He is there more than any other MP. Um, and what he said was desperately moving. 
And that's why it was right that the Prime Minister apologised today and said that with hindsight he would have done things differently. But I I would say that um, everybody makes mistakes. It is, it is only human, that nobody gets every decision uh, right. But you have to look at the overall picture of the Prime Minister's leadership, which is formidably in the interests of the nation. Formidably in the... Formidably, I can't say it formidably in the influence in the interest of the nation uh well you might say that uh, but helen i mean i don't i mean you've seen plenty of politicians come plenty of politicians go i'm sure in your career um this one has got all the markings of the black spot isn't it boris johnson's behavior with the party that he did go to and then the behavior of a lot of other people including civil servants and health advisors Remember Catherine Calderwood? Remember Professor Pants Down, the bonking boffin, Neil Ferguson? Uh, remember Dominic Cummings? This is symptomatic of a wider culture of impunity amongst the great and the good. And it has now made its way, unsurprisingly in my view, all the way up to the Prime Minister. The risk here is that if you've been Boris, and I agree with the, the Labour chap who says it's likely to be the local council elections in May and the increase in everybody's energy price, gas bills and things like that, that are likely to really push it to, to, a, to sort of the final stage of, of the whole exercise, is that the culture of impunity is so pervasive that the, the mooted replacements for Boris, Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak are the two front runners, as I think everybody acknowledges, yes. who are currently both very popular, you know, and liked. The danger is that everybody in among the great and the good or very large numbers of people among the great and the good of supposedly running and advising and drafting these rules has been swept up in this. Where were they? It's only a matter of time if one of them went to a party yes. or one of them broke the rules. Well, Angela, I mean, Angela Rayner has apparently submitted a question today. I'm not quite sure uh, whether it's to Boris Johnson, but certainly to uh, the Tory party uh, with, a, with a, a request for uh, all, um, all parties which were attended by cabinet ministers, because there's bound to be loads. And the other, there are rumours also about the shadow cabinet, about Keir Starmer as well. This is why I'm making this wider point about the culture of impunity. Yeah. I actually think this is a much, much more serious issue than just let's see if we can get Boris Johnson's head on a plate mm. because there is an element that of people amongst continuity remain who desperately loathe Boris Johnson because of he was the figurehead of Vote Leave and yes. far more effective than Michael Gove. Oh, well, I mean, the chief sort of... Um sabre rattler in that department is Lord Adonis, isn't it? And he put out a tweet yesterday saying, if Boris goes, Brexit goes. Well, that's plainly nonsense. Brexit is no, done. No, it is plainly Brexit, nonsense. But but I we saw not, we are not re, like, we're not rejoining the European Union, thanks, anytime yeah. soon. I saw people like Anna Soubry, who has pretty much given up the continuity remain thing. But the hatred is still there. Yeah. And it's a, it's a very personal hatred directed at Boris Johnson. So this is why I'm trying to capture the seriousness of the problem here, where you've got a large number of people who are really very advantaged in the game of life. And it's not just Boris Johnson and going to Eton and I saw the, the, the usual sort of silly lefty comments. Yeah. It is right across the parliament. It is right across 
the very medical establishment whose advice we were all supposed to be taking and whose advice was then enacted into law then proceeded to do it. And I don't normally say very kind things about Nicola Sturgeon, but there is no doubt that Catherine Calderwood just dropped the Scottish government right in it. Of course. You well, know, I mean, there's, 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 been, there's been error after error. Jonathan Van Tam, I suspect, is jumping uh, before it all starts to go horribly wrong and the recriminations begin. Uh, Boris has said this, I would like to thank Jonathan Van Tam for his extraordinary contribution to our country and his invaluable advice throughout the pandemic, wishing him the very best for the future. Now, this is the same guy who was part of the same team of people who killed off Christmas, uh, who locked us down many, many times, regardless of whether Boris wanted to do it or not. This was their advice. It's not now clear whether it was a good idea. In fact, quite the reverse. It's now very clear that lockdowns have killed off large parts of the NHS, have made many, many people sicker and, and, and more ill than they ever were. And it's created a sort of mental health epidemic of people who simply don't now know how to operate in life. And the other thing that is part of this is that, and this is what I raised in my piece for Law and Liberty about taking voluntary assumption of risk as opposed to risks being imposed on people. And uh, thank you very much for tweeting that out so people can have a read of it at their leisure. It's quite short and mainly got lots of jokes in it. But I do want, I am trying to make a serious point in it as well about the extent to which this culture of impunity has captured the great and the good in the country, Hmm. has managed to completely alienate both sides of the COVID debate, the people who are lockdown sceptics and the people who, in good faith, thought that lockdown was good science and complied with the rules and then wagged their fingers at everybody else to comply with the rules as well. And the reason for that is it looks increasingly like the extent to which the the rule-breaking has happened amongst these people, that the advice was not only not well-formed, but was probably just in error. The risk wasn't as great as we thought it was. And this gets back to the point that I'm also making the piece and have made before on the Independent Republic, that it's now very clear that the protect your fellow citizen argument rationale for the vaccines has collapsed. It was totally about protecting the NHS and the country, you know, we have literally which, become which a healthcare complete, system with which, a country attached. Which, by the way, they completely and utterly singularly failed to do because the NHS has not been protected. The NHS has been ruined. It wasn't in great shape before the pandemic. It's now in even worse shape. Worse people, shape. People waiting years now to get operations. People having to go private in order to get anything done. People who can't be seen. I mean, it's an absolute shambles. People waiting nine hours for an ambulance. I mean, it just doesn't work. And it's all because of their policies. And similarly... Not only were there parties going on willy-nilly all over the place, but I know plenty of people who were in and out of Downing Street in the last two years. There was nobody in there doing any of the things that they were telling us to do. They were all hanging about very closely together. They were not socially distancing. Uh, they've got a couple of, caf- uh, sort of cafes apparently in there where the people were just sitting around drinking coffee. Nobody was wearing a mask. You know, I'm quite happy for them to do that, but not while everybody else is being told to do something else. And being banged, and being hit with the £10,000 fixed penalty notices, which is the point that Adam Wagner and uh, Francis Ha have made repeatedly, the pair of barristers who challenged all of these fines when students were being, um, well, it's, they're not fines, they challenged the fixed penalty notices to get them reduced 
so that once it becomes a fine, which is a criminal penalty as opposed to a fixed penalty notice, mm. it has to be reduced to an amount that the person can repay because obviously students don't have very much money and, and a lot of the people who were done for dinged for breaching COVID rules don't have very much money. So it has to be reduced, but the price you pay for it being reduced to a fine, you know, for contesting it, mm. is it then becomes a criminal record. Right. And, it, 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 and it turns up, it's like the, the non-crime hate incidents. They yes. then turn up on a DBS check. It's all of this, which is why I endorsed yesterday, and a lot of people thought that I wrote the piece or that Adam Wagner had written the piece or Francis had written the piece, but it wasn't. I think Fraser Nelson, the editor of The Spectator, wrote it, where the, the only honourable thing to do is to waive all of those fixed penalty notices, the big ones where people are still trying to pay them, and also to expunge the criminal records of people who have, in order to reduce the sum of money involved, mm. have gone down the fine path and are finished up with it on on, on a police record. Yeah. And I do, that is something, if there is a way of getting the broader public, you know, whether through talk radio and various other outlets or through the spectator behind that cause, that is a worthy and honourable thing to do, uh, to, to try to unpick some of the, the mess that has been made as a result of the great and the good in this country, including yeah. the Prime Minister, being unable to follow their own rules. Yeah, but unfortunately you can't unpick people who died. You can't unpick businesses that fell over as a result of what their policies were. You can't unpick people losing their homes, you know, losing loved ones, not being able to see loved ones before they died, not being able to get married. You know, you can't unpick any of that. And I'm afraid that that is where they now stand. They stand in a place where they have disdain for us. They don't care about what happened. They only think about now supposedly saving Boris Johnson. Well, I don't think that is in any way uh, the conduct of the government of this country should be involved in. No, it's it's. We, the rubber has really hit the road mm. and we've done a great big burnout. I don't know whether you have that concept over here, burnouts and donuts, where you leave, finish up leaving more tyre rubber on the road yeah. than is actually finishes up attached to the wheels of the car. Right. Uh, that's what's happened. And we're in this enormous, enormous mess as a result of it. Mm. Um, and I, I mean, you're getting these. And I have to say, even amongst now, now travel has opened up to Australia. I'm starting to hear just to refer back to your uh, remarks about the NHS, the classic Australian comment when people are dual nationals and have access to the Australian healthcare system, uh, the, the line that is always used is when in pain, take a plane. Hmm. Yes. Uh, and well, that certainly... is always a sign that, that people who are familiar with a different and alternative healthcare system are starting to get really, really peed off. Hmm. Well, they are, because anyone that I know uh, who has tried to access bits of it uh, is having terrible frustrations managing to do so because it simply doesn't work. And instead of spending a lot of time actually fixing what was wrong with it, they just kept telling us to protect it and more or less giving the impression that actually it would be an awful lot better if there weren't any patients at all and all the hospitals were actually empty and we wouldn't have to do any terrible hard work. You know, it's absolutely nonsensical what's been happening. And I think this is simply now the end for Boris Johnson because there's been so much that has piled up. It's not one party. Nobody really cares about one party. But people do care about a sort of pattern of misleading people and of just not doing the job. Well, the cumulative effect of the culture of impunity. Mm. That's what we're confronting now. And it's got all the way up to the prime minister. And it, it's of a piece with a lot of the other things like the complete idiocy, all the green 
expensive green crap, most of which, uh, from, from what I understand from people who are very, very pro addressing climate change, uh, uh, most of which is just useless and doesn't help the environment at all. No, of course not. You know, you would have to not use a million plastic straws to make that worthwhile. All the stuff about boilers and sending everybody's gas bills through the roof, it's all just nonsense. Yeah. And also this rubbish yeah. about, you know, cleaning up the environment, it doesn't seem to apply to the millions of lateral flow tests that get chucked away every day and all of the uh, masks that get thrown on the road and get found in rivers and in the sea and it's just unbelievable gloves the whole the whole thing you know plastic everywhere but that doesn't count as damaging apparently the, the climate or damaging the environment because it's all but there your to protect, in a night, to protect but your straw the... in a nightclub does oh yes, yeah know, well in scotland you can't even get into a nightclub so if you're unlucky enough to own one you can't make any money you know, I mean, it's madness. And I know that's Boris um, uh, not taking care. That's not that, that's not Boris's problem in Scotland. But, you know, this whole kind of ridiculous notion that we're going to have to do all this. I mean, Nicholas Sturgeon the other day said, oh, we'll have to wear masks for six years. Really? I don't think so. I'm just thinking in terms of the culture of impunity of the SNP Westminster MP who hopped on training on a train and gave it to everybody else. Right. Well, that's COVID. No, Co I think, not I think... just COVID positive, but COVID symptomatic and yeah. coughing and sneezing everywhere. Yay. But this Winning. is the thing. But this is the thing. You know, people have become deranged, which brings us nicely on to Novak Djokovic in Australia. Um, and regardless of whether or not Novak Djokovic may or may not have said something which wasn't true, the bottom line is that he was given permission to come to Australia. He was given permission to play in the uh, Australian Open, and then as soon as he landed, he was treated like a criminal. Well, Australia does tend to do that. It's it's a deeply Australian trait, and there are now. I mean, there was talk after the court said, no, releasing this is ridiculous. All the documentation is here. Although Tennis Australia didn't come out looking very good because they had basically gathered in all the documentation to themselves and were not making it available to other people mm. uh, and were being really unhelpful at, at various points. And so the court gave them a ticking off as well for, for bad behaviour. But it's become... There's been noises between the Spanish and the Australian government apparently... Um, Djokovic went to Marbella or something in Spain and didn't declare his vaccination status or didn't provide an exemption or whatever the story is. And so this, but the thing is, the draw has happened for the Australian Open. Yeah, they're surely not. Gonna, they're not going to tell him. He they're now not has to send him to... home now. And also, it's not just the draw has happened. He's been on the practice courts. Yeah. You know, there's pictures all over the Australian press of Djokovic on the practice courts. And there's also a lot of everybody in Australia. I mean, there are very few deaths because the country or. or or um, serious illness because the country's highly vaccinated. It's even more vaccinated than here. It's something like 90%, it's an extraordinary number. And and it, down to younger ages as well. And But even then, so Omicron has just gone right through the Australian population and other tennis players have yeah. got it. And... Uh, but, I mean, I it's mean, non I... but it's also nonsensical, Helen, as some have suggested, to say that Novak Djokovic is somehow endangering anybody. I mean, he's probably the fittest man on the planet. There's nothing wrong with him. Um, he doesn't, you know... He's only, had it twice. It's only, I mean, honestly. Yeah, but it's, but it's not even about that. It's about rules. Simply, it's about rules. It's not about danger. It's not about health. It's not about medical matters. It's simply about administration of rules, isn't it? Rules for the sake of rules. Yeah. Rules to make people in positions of authority, or no, no, I'll rephrase that. Rules to allow people in positions of authority, many of them unelected. Remember this, it's mm. easier to make Boris Johnson accountable than it is a lot of the others. So you're, you're getting back to the Neil Ferguson's and Dominic Cummings type figures, the people yeah. who were not elected. You know, But it's indulged this fantasy amongst a lot of 
people that they get to they get to engage in the wagging finger at everybody else. Let's let me wag my finger at you and tell you what to do. Yes. So it's allowed that, it, and that's why you get the rules for the sake of rules because it satisfies something right. deep and in I the think, heart and I of think, a and lot I, of people. And I think that is why Julie Hartley Brewer raised this the other day. And that is why the British public, who generally speaking are people who appreciate fair play and who encourage fair play and who actually want to see fair play uh, from and the people. And who are very law-abiding yeah. too. Yeah, but also, you know, what they've seen uh, is that these dopey rules, which caused an awful lot of anguish for an awful lot of people, were not even believed by the people making them. And that's the problem. And that's why well, that's he's got to go. Issue. That's a huge issue. And that is probably what has unpicked public support for things like lockdown now, which has absolutely collapsed, because it has now become clear, even to the people who were very pro-lockdown, that the people who were coming up with these rules didn't believe in them. When it was just isolated cases, you could sort of go, oh, yes, they were just, you know, Ferguson and Cummings were just being twats. Mm. But now it's become so pervasive um, that you've finished up with the situation that e even to the most zero COVID partisan, they can see that, well, no, that they made all these rules and they didn't actually believe in them. No. Not even the most technical expert people believed in them. No, absolutely right. Uh, we're out of time, Helen, sadly, but thank you very much indeed. Helen Dale, writer, lawyer, political commentator. Uh, the most damaging thing of all of this is the fact that British people expect to be treated fairly, they expect to be treated well, and they expect to be at least um, following rules that everybody's following, as opposed to uh, being asked to do things that nobody in government is doing. Pete says this, Mike, Boris has boxed himself into a corner, and the only way out is to point the finger at guess who? The scientists who were coerced to giving the science ministers wanted, so that they could award all those contracts to their chums, for example, track and trace at 37 billion quid. For those of you out there who still think that for some reason uh, this is some kind of you know vendetta against Boris Johnson, it really isn't. Boris Johnson uh, was championed here at Talk Radio as the greatest prime minister we'd seen for a very long time. So much better than Theresa May, so much better than David Cameron, so much more interesting than Gordon Brown, and even more uh, probably potentially good uh, than Tony Blair was, right? But now he's killed it all himself. It's nothing to do with anyone who's going after him. Boris Johnson has kiboshed his own career. Quite simply, it's his fault. He's done it. Nobody else. It's down to him. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Time to say a very good afternoon to Trevor Kavanagh. Trevor, a very, uh, very good afternoon to you. And uh, did you ever see this day coming? Well, in a way, yes. Um, ever since the um, North Shropshire by-election mm. catastrophe, I think Boris has been on borrowed time. And there was always the risk, inevitably, that there would be more problems, and it, problems which in previous times would not have amounted to a row of beans, but with a catalogue of uh, unforced errors mm. trailing behind him, it only takes a small thing to knock you off course. And this, was, this wasn't entirely a small thing. Well, no, it wasn't. And a lot of the problem, I think, was the fact that the lead-up to it um, was very contradictory, wasn't it? Because at first, of course, he said he couldn't remember whether he was there or not, uh, didn't know whether he was there or not. We'd have to wait for the investigation to determine whether he was there or not. And then suddenly yesterday, he remembered that he was there and he remembered how long he was there for and then said he shouldn't have done it. Yes. I mean, all of this gives um, credence to uh, Keir Starmer's view that the public will believe he's lying through his teeth. And that's not a good look for a prime minister who already looks as if he is a stranger sometimes to the truth. Yes. And uh, I think that this, as I say, cumulatively, 
builds up a huge backlog of resentment among those who aren't fans of Boris, and there are quite a lot of them, unfortunately, in the Conservative Party, mm. and also among those who are fans of Boris, who have been relying on him to deliver what he promised after uh, delivering Brexit in a landslide general election. Yeah. I mean, he literally sort of grasped defeat from the jaws of victory, hasn't he? Because, I mean, he came in with such high hopes. And I know that, you know, nobody expected COVID to wreck the economy and to change the way that everybody lived for two years. But now there's going to be even more scrutiny of the measures that were brought in at various different times over the past two years, when clearly back in 2020, certainly, even only a few weeks after he'd been in hospital, he didn't seem to think that the rules applied to anyone in Downing Street. No, the big problem, I think, Mike, is that those uh, rules were draconian and absurd and over the top. Yeah. I think uh, David Frost, uh, the former Brexit secretary, is saying precisely that today in public and saying, uh, saying basically it's a public policy decision which will be looked back on as catastrophic. I don't think you need to look back. It was at the time regarded as catastrophic. And the, the way that the police and other... Uh, people with a little bit of power pounced on this to uh, impose authority on ordinary members of the public who are trying to do their best, I think is one of the reasons why people are so resentful now that Boris didn't even stick by those rules himself. No, because it seems even more hard-hearted in a way, um, and it gives the impression, does it not, that Downing Street is a place full of people who think they're better than everybody else, that they're cleverer than everybody else, and that they can do whatever the hell they like, really. Yes, and I, unfortunately, that is the image that's come through. I, I think that if you were to give him some credit for one thing, uh, all those people, or at least as far as I know, all the people who have attended, there are suggestions there are people who weren't actually Downing Street insiders. But unless we know that, all the people who attended, all they've done really was to shift from their offices and their uh, socially distanced desks to a place in the garden instead of indoors. So... You know, that's a, a fairly thin ice to skate on, though, isn't it? It really is. I'm just going to interrupt you, Trevor, for one second, because uh, Sajid Javid, the health secretary, is about to make a statement uh, supposedly on COVID. But while we wait for him to start, um, I just wonder whether I'll get your uh, your thoughts on Jonathan Van Tam leaving uh, the uh, as, as the deputy chief <coughs> medical officer uh, underneath Sir Chris Whitty. I mean, I think these guys, particularly Whitty, before Christmas, um, did great damage to the economy by more or less telling everyone not to mingle with one another at Christmas. And so loads of Christmas parties were cancelled. The hospitality business lost hundreds of millions of pounds. Um, and it seems rather a strange timing to me. Yes, I think Jonathan Van Tam is slightly different to the others. He's the human face of that awful uh, gang of three or four who paraded in front of the lecterns every day, it seemed, in that period. Um, the others, I think, are just robotic and have been actually seriously discredited almost since they uh, took their knighthoods and damehoods uh, with uh, data which was completely wrong and led to decisions which I think extended the lockdown, which in, it, in itself was wrong in the first place. Well, exactly right. And many more people than, than just talk radio are now questioning that. We did it all the way through and, of course, were castigated uh, by people for doing so. Let's just take a quick trip down to the House of Commons. Sajid Javid is speaking now. Fine the pharmaceutical defences that we've built, some of the strongest in the world. And today I'd like to update the House on how we're making these pharmaceutical defences even stronger and how we're giving the NHS and this country what it needs to withstand this Omicron wave. 
Our primary defence is, of course, the vaccination programme. 79% of eligible adults have now had a booster, including 91%, over 91% of over 50s, who we know are more vulnerable to the virus. Per capita, we're the most boosted large country in the world. Data from the UK HSA, which was published on Friday, shows that around three months after those aged 65 and over received their booster, their protection against hospitalisation remains at around 90%. These vaccines don't just protect ourselves, our loved ones, but they protect the country's progress too. The reason why we've been able to start the year with much greater freedom than well, last year. Well, this is not year. exactly breaking Short news. I think we're going to break away from it and go back to talking sense with uh, Trevor Kavanagh from The Sun. Sajid Javid out there, uh, obviously having been asked by his boss to go and uh, rally the troops and rah-rah around the booster flag. Um, you know, they make contradictory statements now all the time, Trevor. I mean, on the one hand, they're telling you you must get the booster because the other two vaccines are worn off. Now they're telling us if you get the booster, it lasts three months later, you've still got 90% protection. But it's not really news, is it? Well, the most important thing that we've learned over the last couple of months, Mike, is the fact that Omicron is a mild version of COVID. Yeah. And we can live with it. And in South Africa, they are living with it and they're worse, past the worst of it. Yeah. It seems we are now past the worst of it. It's about time we started dismantling all of those emergency powers and not wait until the end of the month before we do so. No, quite. Well, Sajid Javid said, did he not, before Christmas, if Omicron turns out to be a much milder form uh, of the virus, we will res we will lift all the restrictions that we put on with Plan B. He still hasn't done that. Uh, and yet today he's admitting that hospitalisations are slowing, which is government speak for saying uh, there's not much of a problem. Well, the only issue at stake here, Mike, as you know, and as they keep claiming, is that the NHS can't cope. The NHS is clearly coping, has been coping perfectly well. The number of occupied beds is now down. The number of people on emergency intensive care is down and they're coping. So why should we, the rest of the population who are not being infected, have to isolate, uh, stay off work, uh, wear face masks? The kids are wearing face masks. It's all a nonsense, yeah. frankly. And I think that a lot of genuine academic experts, I'm not one, but I listened to very carefully to those who are. And there are lots of people, very sensible people, who are saying the same thing. Yes. And I mean, one of the things that, 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 that is a problem for the NHS is the self-isolation that's going on. I mean, Boris is currently self-isolating, but he doesn't actually have to. The last time he was asked to self-isolate, he didn't want to. So that tells you a lot about how he doesn't want to be seen anywhere. Um, but I talk to people who work in hospitals all the time. And I'm told by somebody today, one of the reasons that there's a problem is there's hardly anybody working there because they're all off at home self-isolating. And what percentage would you guess are having time off that they perhaps rather enjoy in well, other words, malingering. I'm well, not suggesting that the frontline nurses, because, of course, they're sacred, uh, or the doctors are malingering because they, they're to save lives. But I bet you that a very large proportion of the train crews and the public sector uh, workers who don't have to worry about losing pay if they don't turn up, I bet there's a lot of those who are taking advantage of COVID. Well, exactly. Well, civil servants have been told they can take off until the end of January if they wish to, uh, because they might not want to come to work for fear of catching it. And so, yeah. you know, we are, as, as I said to somebody earlier today, Trevor, living in a two-tier society. Those who work for the public sector who get some very handy sick pay and those of us who work in the private sector who don't. Absolutely. And this has long been the case and it's getting far, far worse. And it's 
being accelerated by this pandemic, which is now petering out just as they uh, take further and further advantage yeah. of it. I mean, they're, they're imposing more and more of their powers over the poor, helpless citizens of this country who have to earn a living uh, in the competitive uh, commercial world. They are feather bedded by uh, index linked pensions, gold plated pensions, and amazing rights to days off even when they're not sick. Mm. It is extraordinary. So let's just get back to Boris for a moment, Trevor. Um, what do you think is going to happen next? Because my sense is that there is another leak to come, one more final one, because whether this is being orchestrated by, by Dominic Cummings or, or other people, um, it does seem to be quite carefully choreographed. I think the next one, whenever it does come, if it does come, will be the one that finishes him. Well, we haven't seen anything like this, Mike, since the uh, last days of Margaret Thatcher. And uh, frankly, as an observer, I mean, anything could happen that I don't know about, unpredictable. But as I look at it from my experience, um, the sharks are circling. There's blood in the water. Boris is hanging on uh, to a straw. And I think that um, this resembles the point at which the most likely front runner, in this case, Rishi Sunak, and in that case, in Thatcher's case, uh, John Major, were absent from the field of battle at exactly the moment that the knives were going in. Mm. So, frankly, I think the game is on. It is not a matter of when. I think it's soon. And I think that uh, it could be as soon as this weekend. Well, that's what I think. Let's have a listen to uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg, who was on with Jeremy Carl yesterday. Um, and he asked him a question about what might happen if something else came out. Jim Shannon. He cried talking about his mother-in-law dying alone of COVID. Can you and your colleagues look Jim Shannon full square in the face and say... That's not the right clip. Sorry, we'll find the right clip. Um, basically, uh, Rhys Mogg was out, out and about defending Boris yesterday. Um, and he was one of a few people who would, were sent out to do so. But, I mean, it wasn't with any great deal of enthusiasm, I didn't think. Uh, Jacob, he is one of those who would die in a ditch for Boris without being asked to do so. Mm. I think that he recognises the the pluses that uh, Boris brought to the Tory party. Without Boris Johnson, it's unlikely they would have won by anything like the ABC landslide they did only a year ago. We would not have been out of Brexit at all. And frankly, the uh, and also, despite the stumbles we've already discussed about uh, COVID, we are emerging faster than any other country in Europe. No other country in Europe has got it all right either. So, I mean, there are pluses about Boris Johnson. The trouble is uh, he's got so many enemies in the Tory party, in cabinet even, who want his job. Uh, that This is why I think now that the, he's badly damaged, they're not going to let him off the hook. No, and that's what I worry about as well. I think we now got the clip of uh, Rhys Mogg talking to Jeremy Carr. I'm going to ask this question both ways. What if another photo comes out? What if another party? What if another Dominic Cummins, you know, piece of information? We're, we're, we're being told at the moment, wait for the inquiry. Do you and your colleagues believe there's any more revelations? Well, I think you ask a very interesting and important question. The, the Prime Minister got a majority of 80 given to him by the British people. And you're now saying, will there be a continuing campaign of disobliging leaks by Dominic Cummings? Who do you think should decide who our Prime Minister is? British people who voted, or Dominic Cummings, who's upset at having lost office, who himself, um, uh, well, I don't know whether he has yet been to Specsavers, but we all know about his eyesight problems. Um, 
I remember the government defending him over the ludicrous Barnard Castle debacle. By the way, yesterday, whilst I was on air, this was fantastic. We were talking about Boris Johnson, and this was fantastic, Jacob, and Dominic Cummings, and the traffic and travel cited a, a minor accident on the road heading out of Barnard Castle, and nobody could go. What I'm saying is, has he got any more on Boris Johnson? Because I don't understand how the Prime Minister of this country, knowing that this guy's got whatever on him, let him go like that. Why didn't they take the box off him before he walked? Walked out the front door. The, the, the Prime Minister has a great quality, which is loyalty to the people who work for him. And, misplaced? Uh, and, and, misplaced? Uh, well, if you go back to Barnard Castle, um, he was extremely loyal to Dominic Cummings. It was um, a mistake uh, there now, wasn't and, it? and if you look back on it, you see that um, no good turn goes unpunished. That was Jacob Rees Mogg there talking to Jeremy Carl. Jeremy, back at four o'clock this afternoon. Um, trying to make light of it, really, but, but, but I mean, there's no joking to be had I, do- I doubt in Downing Street today because as you say Trevor it's not just what might be coming out but it's what the Tory party might be thinking and what the 1922 committee in particular are thinking I think they've got a meeting early part of next week yes I mean uh, things are going to move very very quickly now Mike this is not going to easily be contained over the coming days and in particular the weekend when the weekend papers will be all over it all the talk shows will be all over it and people will be on the phone to each other, MPs will be plotting and manoeuvring. So uh, maybe it won't even last until next week because the momentum is gathering very fast. Yeah. I think that um, what um, Jacob was asked about was uh, Dominic Cummings' Pandora's box, that box he carried out in front of the, deliberately in front of the cameras as he left Downing Street. He, he may have nothing in that box, but he's got plenty online in his, in his files, emails, uh, pictures and also people still serving in Downing Street who are loyalist to him more than they are to the Prime Minister. Yes, interesting. Very interesting indeed. Trevor, I know you've got to go. Thanks so much indeed for talking to us. Uh, fascinating that Trevor Kavanagh, a man uh, who reads the runes on all of this stuff very, very much uh, better than almost anybody else in the political world. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.